from the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. Back at our microphones, Lamont Carey. LamontCarey.com. You know, Lamont is one of the most interesting spokespeople uh, for this whole issue of reentry, people coming out of prison. We're titling today's program, Views on Prison Reentry from a Former Offender's Perspective. Lamont Carey, welcome back to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. <laughs> the, the best programs we do are with Lamont. Now, you know, when you go to an event and Lamont is speaking at events, because Lamont is an author, he is a trainer, Lamont is everything. He's a <laughs> filmmaker. There's nothing that Lamont does not do. But the most interesting thing that Lamont does is he gets up and he gives these monologues on our understanding of crime in the criminal justice system. So, Lamont, I want you to start off with the program with a one- to two-minute monologue so people have an idea as to what it is that you do. I See, when I walked out that gate, I looked straight, leaving prison behind me, leaving the streets behind me. But my mother always told me that my past would always find me. See, I had been looking for a job for almost a year and wasn't nobody hiring. So I'm glad that they done banned the box, but it's that empty block on my resume that seems to be whispering. He done been to the penitentiary. And they told me to forget my past and change people, places, and things if I really want to change. So now I'm in this new job interview, not knowing what to say or what to do. So I say what I've been taught, that I'm a hard worker, that I'm a fast learner, and that I'm dependable. And she leaned over and said, sir, what does that mean? Because that ain't what we looking for. We looking for somebody with expertise in sales. So I smiled on the outside because in the inside I was screaming, that's the reason that I went to jail. So once I was able to tell her what I knew about sales without actually telling her what I knew about sales, I got the job. See, they say when things go wrong, we revert back to what we know. But there's some skills from my criminal past that are indeed transferable iTunes, all that stuff. You can get that. The whole copy. <laughs> I do love that. I heard that live uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just absolutely fascinated with it. And, and you understand, after listening to that monologue, um, how convincing Lamont is, a very eloquent spokesperson uh, and a very forthright and forceful spokesperson for the issue of reentry, because we've done radio programs before where we've argued, right. we've yelled at each other, and, 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 and people just need to understand what it is about people caught up in the criminal justice system and what it is that we should be doing. Crime is rising in some cities throughout the United States. People are starting to get angry at the criminal justice system again. And what we're saying is, is that if you supply the programs, both in prison and outside of prison, and if you supply community support, we can dramatically reduce uh, the amount of people who are going back to prison, dramatically reduce the amount of criminality that people get involved in, and we've been saying that. I've been saying that for a quarter of a century. I'm not, I'm not quite sure people get it. Right. I'm not quite sure people listen to what I have to say. Maybe, Lamont, Carey, they listen to what you have to say. So what is the message? <sighs> you said it. Uh, 
so when I hear criminal justice system, so let me just be straight up. Yeah. I hear uh, the system because my community, from my personal perspective, my community reflects all the images that I see of the criminal justice system. What does that mean? That means on the news, when there's a crime committed and the picture is flashed, 99% of the times it's an individual that looks like me that comes from the community that I come from. And this morning I saw, well, actually on my way here, I saw a video of a young black girl, African-American girl in a classroom. I don't know what the whole story is, but this police officer forced, she was sitting in the chair holding on to the chair as tight as she could, Mm -hmm. slammed the chair back, snatched her out of the chair and tossed her, right? Mm -hmm. This is a grown man. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a young girl in school, and I can't think where's the justification in her being treated so harshly. She didn't have a weapon in her hand that she was brandishing at anybody. She was holding on to the desk. And so those images are what I saw growing up on a consistent and constant basis. Every time I saw the police they were taking somebody that I knew, somebody that I loved. And so for me, that created that gap, that divide between me and the police, because I saw the police as a threat to my well-being. And that is how I saw the criminal justice system and how also I saw the criminal justice system, because, again, I say the system is when I was in school. And I stayed back in kindergarten. I don't know how you stay back in kindergarten when all you do is color and sleep. But I stayed back in kindergarten and I stayed back in the first grade. So when I got passed on to these other grades, I knew that I wasn't ready, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm seeing statistics and hearing people say that they're basing uh, third grade test scores on how many prison beds that they will need in the future. Mm-hmm. So the criminal justice system for me is begins in my community. And if, and if those statistics are what they're using as fact, that means there is an opportunity for there to be an intervention in third grade. Mm-hmm. If that is what's leading to defining what, where they will end up with the rest of their life. So why aren't we being proactive and putting money into programs? Not only money, money into programs, why aren't we getting rid of uh, teachers and curriculums that aren't preparing our children to go to the next grade where they will be producing test scores that say they are going to prison? Okay, you're bouncing all over the place. Number one, there's a basic, basic mistrust either in the poor African-American community or other communities, white communities, Hispanic communities, towards the criminal justice system, you're probably going to suggest that it's more pronounced within the African-American no, community. I'm, so I'm just speaking of from my perspective. From your right? perspective. That's right. what I'm looking for. And so, number one, the, the, what I'm hearing is there's mistrust. Right. Of those of us within the criminal justice system. Right. And there's probably, in your mind, a pretty good reason for that mistrust. Right. And so from the very beginning in terms of the schools, the schools are improperly prepared to lift people up, even those people who want to be lifted up. Right. So to you, it may seem that I'm bouncing all over the place, but to me, it, it says it's connected. 
Because if, if based off those test scores and it defines who goes to prison and nobody, nobody is trying to stop that. So all of that is connected because mm-hmm. this saying these people, these young people will end up in the criminal justice system. And if nobody is not, if nobody is not interrupting that, then they're embracing it. So what you're saying, it's preordained and it's embraced by the larger society. Yeah, that's how that's how I that's how I how else could I could read into that? Why would it be embraced by the larger society? Because if 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 this is the truth. And, and and they're not putting money there. They're not ch- switching out the curriculum or the teachers. Then this is, has been accepted as the norm. Why? Why? Yeah. Why is it ex- accepted as the norm? Well, it may be. I know I've been hearing that I haven't actually seen them, so it may not even be true that there may there are contracts with prison systems that's guaranteed uh, that a certain amount of bed space will be filled. So maybe this is a part of that process of make, making sure that they, the states meet those quotas so they won't end up in court because they have guaranteed that these bed spaces will be filled. So your sense is that it's all preordained for whatever reason, whether it be race, whether it be class, whether it be for whatever the reason is, it is preordained for young men and young women coming up in our society throughout the United States that they're not going to do well in school and they're going to end up in the criminal justice system. Right. So my thinking is, if it's not embraced as this is the norm, then it must be embraced that there is something truly wrong with African-Americans, right? That we're going to commit crimes, that we're going to violate the law in some form or fashion that's going to put us behind bars. Mm -hmm. So that's saying we are born criminals mm-hmm. and that is that's an impossible for it to be true but i know we we come from situations from the from in my in my community i grew up that my father wasn't allowed to to live in my household right mm-hmm. for my Why? mother to receive the section 8 housing so this dude used because to, he was caught up in the system no no i mean be, before for my mother to have so what I'm speaking of again, when I when I hear criminal justice, I hear the system. Okay, that's what internally. That's what it says to me. And I'm just state. I'm just uh, stating from my view as a young person growing up to now as an adult, trying to understand all of my experiences as a young folk. So, if my father was hiding under the bed and jumping in the closet. So he wouldn't be found that he was in my mother's home, so she wouldn't lose where she was mm-hmm. was living. So one. It seemed like my father, for whatever reason, that he wasn't able to have a have a job that he was able to to pay the rent for for the housing for us. Whatever that reason was that he couldn't do that. But then he, now my mother ha- has housing and, and, and apparently she was under agreement that says if we provide housing for you and your kids, mm-hmm. the man can't be living here. For what reason? Was he caught up in the criminal justice system? No, it was just public housing. It was just public it was housing? just public housing. So they, it had excluded your father because they didn't want men? They didn't want men. Oh, wow. Men couldn't... He could not live in the house with us. Really? And so now, uh, I know in D.C., housing... They were saying... Because it wasn't HUD. HUD said it wasn't their policy. It was a policy of, like, the Housing Authority. So okay. the Housing Authority in D.C. is looking, is re-looking at that and trying to bring families back together. The bottom line, what I'm hearing you say, Lamont, is that there is institutional bias towards people, towards themselves, 
caught up in the criminal justice system, caught up in failing schools. They grew up feeling a certain way, viewing the criminal justice certain, system a certain way, viewing society a certain way. Right. So the, right. So what I'm so what I don't. So what does that mean? So you, so you grow up and you grow up in tough schools. You grow up in tough communities. You grow up mistrusting the criminal justice system, and all that means what? All that means. Well, for me, I felt isolated. I felt like that I, there wasn't options for me. Mm-hmm. That I felt limited because I heard things like uh, the school system isn't preparing you for a future. The textbooks are old or the white man is not going to let you be nothing. This is what I heard Mm -hmm. verbally. Mm -hmm. Now I see on TV every year, every couple of months about how bad the inner city or the public school system is. So now that's not something that I'm hearing verbally from people who have given up on life, but now it's being broadcast. And so it's the same messages that's being fed to our kids. So as a kid, Growing up, I'm like, all right, so why should I go to that route if they saying that route is a dead end? Mm-hmm. And so I chose the streets. You're not going to succeed anyway, so why not choose the streets? Right. And so what? So the, the how the streets was seemed like an option because those who chose the streets lived better than I did, mm-hmm. and and I wanted to get out of this. I wanted to get out of this despair because. People in my in my neighborhood, you can look in their eyes and see that that they have given up, mm-hmm. that they are completely hopeless. I didn't want to be a drug addict. I didn't want to be an alcoholic living on a corner. And so the drug dealers became the difference in my community. They became they had the cars, they had the money, they moved out of the community, and it was accessible to me. I learned how to sell drugs playing mm-hmm. in the yard. Mm-hmm. So, but you understand that what you were describing, I'll name the following five groups. And there's going to be somebody who will object because I've left somebody out. You're talking about Italian street corner gangs. You're talking about Jewish street corner gangs. You're yes. talking about Greek street corner right. gangs. You're talking about uh, just about any other group right. out there. So everything that you're describing describes exactly all the other folks who got involved in the criminal justice right. system. So guess where I learned that at? Where? I learned that in prison. And tell me about that. I learned that uh, each group has the same or similar issues as the African-American community is dealing with. Italians mm-hmm. uh, kill, rob, sell drugs to Italians. Asians do the same and vice versa. So I'm only speaking from a perspective that I grew up in. I can't talk about right. a, an, an Italian kid, how they grew up. I want to get talk from my... Okay, I want to get I want to get back to that, and I want to get around to criminal justice policy, but I, okay. I, I still think that our program should be two hours long, not 30 minutes. It's impossible to right, have right, right. a discussion yeah. about all of this. Lamont carries at our microphones. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, views on prison reentry from a former offender's perspective, lamontcarry.com, L-A-M-O-N-T-C-A-R-E-Y.com. Uh, it's impossible to describe Lamont in terms of his public appearances, in terms of writing books, in terms of video, in terms of other projects that Lamont is involved in. Uh, it's just a fascinating, a fascinating person. LamontCarry.com. Go to his website. Lamont, 
Okay, let me. We have 15 minutes left. Okay. So, 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 cr- in terms of criminal justice policy, in terms of something that everybody else listening to this program right now needs to understand about the reentry process, okay. is what? Okay. So, everything that you experienced as a child, let's put that off to the side for a second. And go to what does the larger society need to understand? What does the larger society need to do to reduce crime, to reduce the amount of people going back to the prison system? And reduce their own tax burden. Okay, so starting from inside of the criminal institution, starting inside in prisons, uh, one of the things that was life changing for me is that I had access to education. Mm-hmm. And so, with me saying that, the Pell grants are so important because federal funding for, for federal funding for, for college, college programs, right? Okay, because that one that. So having access to education broadened my worldview. Mm-hmm. As I said in the poem that I was read that I was reciting earlier, that people told us to change people, places, and things if we really want to change. Right. And so if I didn't have access to education while in prison, I would have came out worse than I went in. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have grown only grown as a criminal. And so education combated that education. When I was in business management, it told it taught me that I was a businessman, but I just had illegal product. So all I had to do was change my product and the services that I offer without access to education. I wouldn't have learned it. That is how I'm in front of you now with books out, with right. films and plays. Right. Right. So education helps change the way a man or a woman sees themselves, sees the world, and it shows them what exists out there. But before prison, you said you viewed yourself in a certain way and you saw your future as hopeless. How did that change? How did that change in terms of college programs in prison? So... I didn't see my I didn't see myself as hopeless. I saw myself as finding a way out, and that's why I chose turn to selling drugs, okay. even though it was the wrong choice. So why? How did that help me in in prison? Yeah, it made it made sense of my life. It made me see that this wasn't that black people wasn't the only people that existed in the world. And there were black, there are black people that are successful. And if, they, and if you figure out what you what you want out of life and you be determined enough to achieve it, college, having access to college and prison helped me create a roadmap to success. It taught me that I can take my life uh, package my life, which I have done because I don't have a product or service. My business is created of me, of mm-hmm. my experiences that I was able to turn into books, into CDs, mm-hmm. to motivational seeking, speaking. So that's what college did for me. If not, if not having access to college, I wouldn't have been. been a, I wouldn't have known that I can do that. So the other thing that we need, having a job, having housing, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But more than that, we need goals. We need to be able to set goals, life goals for ourselves. We need to be able to think, be able to make decisions that's going to benefit our life. So we need life skills that's going to help us to confront and overcome those obstacles we're going to face. All right. So you're talking about fundamentally rearranging how people see themselves through education. Yeah. not if Yes. And education is somehow, whether that's a trade or whether that's through just education because we work. 
So what society doesn't doesn't understand is that in prison you have two choices. You either work or you go to school. So it's not like we have never worked before. <laughs> we work. We get up every morning, probably like depending on what your job is, and work just about seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So we are accustomed to working. We are accustomed to being on time. And I think we just need the opportunities and that the community as a whole, the employers understand that there is some value. One, we have we have uh, skills. We, we are used to working and that we have skills that we're not even utilizing. One of the, th- the skills that I have that I learned from the streets mm-hmm. is that I learned I know marketing. I know customer service. I know branding. I know. So those were skills that I learned from a criminal lifestyle. I figured out through college programs how to see that in a different light, see that in a positive light and repackage that and turn it into a pro- a positive product or service. So we the, we cut the prison programs. We cut most of the prison college programs. President Obama is trying to reinstitute them on a limited right. basis, on a trial basis. But we cut most of the programs that you find near and dear. Right. Most prison systems throughout this country lack career programs, right. lack vocational training for all offenders. They have them, but only a small percentage of the prison population can take advantage of them. Um, Vocational training is not there as necessary. Educational training, uh, substance abuse, mental health, all of these programmatic activities, uh, they they exist in every prison in the United States, but they only serve small numbers. Why is that? If you're saying that that is the key, then why do we have such why, why do so few prison inmates actually get to be involved in these sorts of efforts? So in some institutions, it depends on how much time you serve. In. Correct. Right. Right. If you're a lifer, you're not going to get it. If you're if you're there for nine months, you're not going to get it. Right. Got it. So. But but for the 80 percent left. So my thinking is that everybody should have access to some form of program. It shouldn't be voluntary. It should be mandatory. If you don't have a high school diploma, like when I went to prison because I was a juvenile, because of federal laws or what have you, I right. had to go to school right. and get a GED. Right. That was the eye opener for me. That would lead to college okay. because at first I didn't, I didn't think I was smart enough to be able to take tests to to pass grades. But GED, once I got the GED, I was like, okay. I want two quick answers from you. Okay. Why do we? Why is there a lack of programs? And B, if we had the programs, what would be the impact? What would we reduce recidivism by fifty percent, sixty percent, twenty percent? Why don't we have these programs? Well, I think the the institutions focuses on uh, warehousing for the most part. It's on warehousing, and, and maybe the the impression is that we don't want to learn. I went to a prison in North Carolina. They have no program. They don't even have a law library. Mm-hmm. But I, in my opinion, I believe that it will it will have a great impact on the recidivism rate if you have those kind of programs. Most of us don't even know that we have mental issues. Today, I, I know that I'm affected uh, by my incarceration because I still, like if 
if my wife opened the door in the, in the bedroom, I, I still pop up or my eyes pop open because it was a safety measure in there. Right. So those are some things that could have been addressed beforehand. But me, you know me, I, now I'm writing a book on. <laughs> yes, you are. Right? How to identify <laughs> in, institutional behavior yeah. and possible ways you yeah. can help them overcome it. But I think having education and access to programming, it's cool if, if they give us programming and education, but society has to be willing to accept that we have this training and if they're going to offer us programming in the institution, let us be certified in it. Okay, so that's the other part of it. The larger society has got to care about people coming out of the prison system. They've got to be personally invested for their own protection. Right. For, I mean, just in terms of, of safety. crime, just in terms of their own tax-paid dollars, right. it is in our collective best interest to give a break, to have some degree of understanding the people coming out of the prison system. And let me tell you something. When, let me tell you what, when I felt like I was a part of the American dream. Yeah. When I cast my first ballot. Yeah. So I think it's important that individuals that return home from prison should be given their voting rights back because I had never paid attention to politics until I was in prison. How much it of, was on TV. How much of all of this is the individual person's responsibility? Because people listening to this program are going to go, okay, Lamont, fine. Programs, fine. I'll give you that. Acceptance, fine. I'll give you that. How much of it is the responsibility of Lamont Curry and everybody else coming out of the prison system? It was a huge responsibility of Lamont Curry, but you also got to look at, in, in a lot of institutions, it's controlled by gang activity. And so either you're in a gang or you're not out or you're or you're or you pray. I just always stood on my own, was willing to deal with whatever and learn how to navigate those systems. But an individual who doesn't have the same outlook on life and, and confidence in themselves going to end up in those gangs. But if you if you give them uh opportunities like education and job training that'll help combat some of that stuff that's dealing with the gang and all of that. Because if we don't put programs in it and I'm trained as a gang member or I learned or I, I for quickly, I ended up in a federal prison when they closed DC prison Lawton down. Right. So now I'm in there with cartel leaders, right. Mm -hmm. That could easily say, Conversation, say Lamont. When you get home, I'm gonna make sure you are right. I'm gonna supply you with a hundred kilos mm -hmm. or a thousand kilos. I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. Right before I came to nobody the federal else, prison, nobody else cares about you. We do. Right. So before I came to pre the federal prison, I hadn't. I didn't have access to cartel leaders. But because I had access to education, while I had access to cartel leaders, I chose to to use the education that I got versus the opportunities mm -hmm. that the cartel leaders were presenting me. So that's what's important when you're talking about re-entry. Either we're getting a either we getting a good education or we're getting an education that's gonna help teach us how to pray on the community. And majority of the individuals that I was incarcerated with, they wanna come home and they wanna be upstanding uh, citizens. They don't want to do wrong, but they come home and we hear all of these no's, no to job, no to voting. So we we don't have access to so much stuff. Lennon. Out of all the amazing things that I've done since I've been home, mm -hmm. I still can't go on a field trip with my son. So that's not allowing me to be 100% father. I can't go on a field trip. And I go in schools and I talk to kids mm -hmm. about 
being at risk, ending up in a prison, I mean, incarcerated, Mm -hmm. but I still can't go and volunteer. So regardless of your success, and your success has been profound, you were still an ex-con. And I still, and and yes, I'm still an ex-con. I still can't even get in the White House. (laughs) And I've been nominated. I've been on programs and I can't get in. There's a bit of a contradiction there. So out of all the success that I've had, imagine somebody with no success. Yeah. Can't even be participate in a in a, a field trip with their kid, but that's I think the larger issue. I mean, there are the Lamonts of the world, Lamont carries of the world, uh, that do extraordinary things. I mean, I've had dozens of them before these right. microphones. The the other people like Lamont carry, right? And there's ninety seven percent, right, who are still struggling with the basics, and and you're laying out the the issues for all of them. Right. So my goal it applies to everybody. So my goal is to change, to use myself and any other uh, individual that came home and successfully transitioned to change the face of reentry. Cause I think when people hear uh, X con, they still see the image of who I used to be. Mm-hmm. They don't see this individual that's sitting sitting across from you right now or this individual that was uh, the lead in a production at the Kennedy Center last mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. They don't see that individual that can uh, go into a, a job, I mean, to a company and teach companies, uh, employees on professional development. They just see your past. Right. And when, as long as you see my past, you're going to miss how extraordinary that I am today, because that's what I am, Leonard. But it applies to other people as well. Right, because there are your, thousands of us. Point. I mean, it's, it's, is it the majority? Is it 25%? Is it 50%? Is it 70%? What is it? I, I think depending on what community that you're in, it's seconds. a minimum, minimum of 15% of the, the individuals come home and successfully transition. But then again, there are those of us who have jobs that the employer told us, don't let nobody know that you ever been to prison. So if you out there, listen, I need for you to get on board to ban in the box, removing, have you ever been convicted of a crime from the job applications? Support getting the Pell Grants back into the institution. Always a very fascinating conversation, Lamont Carey. Thank you very much for being here. LamontCarey.com, ladies and gentlemen, D.C. Public Safety. We appreciate your comments. You know, we even appreciate your criticisms, and we want everybody to have themselves a very pleasant day. <laughs>